Welcome to the Agree to Disagree show, a show that discusses news, politics, and pop culture with your host, Luigi C. I want to see how many people I can agree to disagree with. We will try to solve life's great mysteries. Why is the sky blue? Why do we lean left or right? Why are we all nuts? Let's start the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 22 of the Agree to Disagree show podcast, where we discuss current events, politics, and pop culture. I'm your host, Luigi C. And as I mentioned every week, guys, we are streaming live on Facebook at Agree to Disagree show and on my personal page, Luigi Costanza, and on YouTube live as well. Also, this will be available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify and Apple, probably uh, later on this evening or tomorrow morning. Guys, tonight's guest is a local Montreal author, Michael A. Occhionero. Occhionero. You should, yeah, thank God you see it. Thank God it's an Italian doing this. Uh, is the author of novels Idle Hands and Alt.4.1. His eclectic creative interests extend to poetry, and he is currently editing a collection of his works entitled Variations on a Theme for release in 2021. He writes and teaches in his hometown of Montreal. In his free time, the author enjoys traveling, spinning old records, and spending as much as time as possible on the tennis court. Occhionetto holds an MA in English Literature from Queen's University. Guys, let's give a warm round of applause and welcome to Michael. Good evening, Mike. Hey, Luigi. How's it going? Good. Yourself? Good. Good. Uh... I noticed that you did not butcher my last name. That was uh, that was great. <laughs> that's the that, that's the advantage of having right of having a uh, an Italian basically mm-hmm. say your name. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've uh, heard some creative pronunciations of that one, but uh, T- tell me for nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> T- tell me some of them. What have you heard? How bad has it been? Know. When I used to play hockey when I was a kid, whenever I would get a point and uh, the scorekeeper would have to say my name, would be uh, uh, avec uh, le but par uh, Michel Oshionero, whatever else it was. Oh, <laughs> so all of a sudden, you sounded Spanish. Ochinero. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's the CH that they always have the, the problem with, right? Yeah, a lot of languages, it's soft, but in Italian, it's, uh, it's hard. That's right. That's right. Uh, Michael, uh, thank you so much for joining me this evening. It's uh, it's a true pleasure. We had the time to to speak a little bit off air, and uh, I say this a lot. I sound like a broken record, but I'm a huge believer in um, in supporting and and uh, local local talent. And uh, I, I love that uh, you're my first author, uh, and especially being a Montreal boy, uh, mm-hmm. which is I love I love even more. And we're going to go into a little bit more details into your novels as well. So I wanted to say thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, excited to be on the show and uh, have some good uh, stimulating conversation this evening. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. So um, first of all, I just want to talk a, lot, a little bit of, of your your background. And uh, like I, you know, I always ask, what what made you want to be an author? What was the driving force behind this? And why would you do it? You know, we know it's it's not an easy life being an author, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I had never really, before I got into it, never really uh, expected to be going down that path. Uh, I come from a really uh, white-collar family. Uh, my mom is an accountant. My dad's an accountant. My brother's an accountant. My uncle's an accountant. My cousin's an accountant. <laughs> Enough was, said. Hold on. Enough said, Enough. Exactly. Now I know why you don't want to be an accountant. <laughs> uh-huh. So I was expected to be... What do you think I was expected to be, Luigi? So anyway, um, I like started studying business in uh, CJEP and, you know, I, th- I found it was okay. And uh, until I worked my first full-time job uh, one summer in an office and I realized that if I ever had to work another summer in an office, I was going to blow my brains out. So <laughs> yeah, major overhaul was needed. And um I had a pretty inspiring teacher in CJET that uh, would always tell me that uh, I wrote well, and a few teachers in high school as well that I appreciated who, who uh, would mention that um, they enjoyed my writing and 
they gave me the initial little push to uh, try it out. And then I, I studied it in university. I studied English literature, I should say, and study writing. Um, and I had initially thought that I would become an English professor. And, you know, the door is always open for me to do that still. I mean, it would be really cool. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, then I just figured you see all these English professors their entire job is lauding these authors that they love or that they think are really good um, or, you know, really um, talented. So I figured if, if I'm going to be, you know, uh, an ambitious young man, which, you know, I am, I may as well strive for the apex of my chosen profession, which is, in my opinion, not necessarily an English professor, but an author. So mm -hmm. I thought, if I could write a book, that would be something. So I tried and I failed and I tried again and started picking up some steam. And then I eventually, you know, put one together and I was just as surprised as anyone. <laughs> wow. I, I love I love so many things of what you just said. Um, first of all, the power of of just one single teacher believing you and, mm. and planting that seed in you that you could actually do it. And the importance of that, I don't, I don't think we, we stress that enough, uh, the importance of, of just someone, especially a teacher, believing in you and look at what those that positive impact that they had just saying those words to you uh, many years later, what it's led to. So that's so important. Um, no I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about self-reliance, but having that little push to get you, you know, on your way is, is invaluable. It's something that, uh, you know, everyone everyone benefits from having someone who believes in them and i've been very lucky to have um, a wealth of people who who do and who continue to absolutely because i don't think you'd be um i don't think any of us would be the same type of people we are today or maybe even do the things we do maybe i wouldn't be doing this podcast if i didn't have people that uh, gave me a positive comment same to mm -hmm. you maybe you wouldn't have written the books that you've written or even have gotten into or have the courage of of, of going into um, rather challenging field, right? But another thing also that was really interesting is that, you know, these these um, English literature teachers, would, would you be able to even tell me, like, how much do you think a majority of these English teachers even actually ever produce or even write something themselves, right? I find uh, that interesting. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't give you a, a number that would be anything but an entirely fabricated number, but I mean... Yeah. I I feel like the majority of them um, have aspirations too. I feel like everyone who reads books has at least, you know, once in their life thought about writing one. And, uh, you know, um, it's just uh, it's just a matter of putting in the hours, really, because it's not uh, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not something that's going to happen in a week. You know, yeah. like my first book, for example, took me took me uh nine to 12 months to draft meaning just the wow. first draft which needed a lot more editing before it was anywhere near ready for publication so it's just a matter of having the patience to return to the same project over and over again and to uh, chip away at it you know like i i like to use the analogy of uh passing the zamboni you know i mentioned <laughs> i used to play hockey but like the ice you know just got to keep cleaning it. Just got to keep cleaning it. Just got to keep cleaning it, editing, drafting, editing, drafting, patience. That's really the majority of the job. It's not, it's not just that lightning in a bottle and you write a beautiful sentence. You know, you yeah. need, you need 50, 60, 70,000 words to make a novel. And that, that takes, that's, you know, that, that entails quite a lot of work. I, I can't even, honestly, I can't, I can't even imagine I mean, just coming up enough for what me to say in an, in an hour interview, I find is a lot. I can't even imagine the preparation, the thought process behind writing a book. Um, and, you know, one thing I did want to know, and I'm always very curious about and fascinated, is how do you even start thinking about wrapping your head around what's going to be my first book or what's even going to be my next book, like a subject? How do you even come up with those concepts? Or how could you even say, this is it, this is what I'm going to do? How did, how how was that for you? Well, for my first book, um, before I figured figured it out a little bit and started really um, picking up steam and feeling that like oh this this time that I'm trying to write a manuscript oh this one might actually be the one. 
um, I was trying to write like uh, about things that I just had no idea about, like, you know, just large, large topics, global politics or um, the meaning of life or, you know, like these very, mm. very learned subjects that will take a lifetime of study to even just, you know, break through the outer shell of what do they mean. And I, I realized that uh, I wrote my first book when I was 22, 23. And wow. I, just, I just realized that, like, what are you doing? You don't know what you're talking about. You need to, in order to, what's most important when you're writing is to come across as genuine. I think that's the only way that you're going to be compelling. So you got to write about things you know about. And if you're not willing to read a few encyclopedias, don't mm -hmm. talk about world history, you know, just talk about what you know. So I, I reduced the scope of what I was writing about and I began to write about Montreal. I began to write about a young man coming of age in Montreal. I began to write stories that were derived from things that I had experienced or just um, like scenes that I had um, been present in. Like in my first book, there are scenes on Saint Laurent, for example, There's, there are scenes at the Casino de Montreal things like that, you know, things a little closer to home that that um, come across as um, more authentic because they're smaller in scope. And once I wrote one book, writing another book was a lot easier. You know, I figured mm -hmm. out a little bit how you do it. And um, for my second book, um, I wrote about technology a lot because um, I thought that it was technology and AI and the way that um, it was creating sort of uh, interconnectivity between everyone was um, one of the most uh, relevant, one of the most um, important topics that uh, were impacting the world today that I was living in. And I did the research to be able to speak about these topics in a, an informed way, in a way that I I'm contributing something to the dialogue without mm -hmm. um, without uh, over over overstretching my bounds, I guess. Well, I um, that's that's a great point. You know, starting especially where you know what you're talking about, um, and we're gonna go into a lot more detail into the two books. Uh, but I wanted to before we do that, I wanted to talk about a little bit about the publishing uh, company that you you started. Mm -hmm. with, well, some, with, with some partners <laughs> yes with some partners yes exactly mm -hmm. and um so, so tell us uh, well first of all it, it's called aos publishing and i put it in the show notes uh the website is there and mm -hmm. i'll i'll let you do the rest first of all but before i go there is uh, i love the name guys if you don't know aos stands for ace of spades ace and, of swords. oh ace of swords okay <laughs> <laughs> you got me that ace of swords so ace of swords is basically uh, they're talking about the Italian cards because in the Italian cards, uh, there's swords that are used. Uh, uh, there's suns, swords, cups, and uh, uh, how could you say bastone <laughs> in, in English? Bats, I guess. Yeah. So well, actually, Luigi, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I figured it out when I like was sort of um, researching some stuff or what I or just coming up with ideas for the company. Italian cards are actually derived from tarot cards. So the Ace of Swords idea actually came from the symbology of, uh, or the symbolism rather, of uh, tarot cards. Okay. And um, what the Ace of Swords represents in the tarot deck is, well, a lot of things, but uh, in a few words, um, power, risk, reward, and the perils of, of battle, the, par the perils of putting things on the line in order to get what you want. So I really okay. liked, I really liked the symbolism of it, of the, of the double-edged sword, how there's always um, a light and a dark to everything. And there's always a risk and a reward to everything you do. I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, here it goes. The whole purpose of me starting this podcast, it was to learn and speak to interesting people and learn different things. And I just, you know, I've been playing Italian cards all my life and there you go. I never knew that. And now you I know. You see? Italian cards. <laughs> yeah. And I'm wiser for it. You see, I knew I did yeah. good. I, I knew I did good. So, um, t tell, tell us, uh, people watching as well. And, uh, what's, what's the uh, raison d'etre? What is the, the purpose of AOS publishing and, uh, what do you hope to do with it? Uh, we hope to take over the world, Luigi. <laughs> That's Amazon. Amazon's job right now. <laughs> uh, 
No, no, not not in the Amazon kind of way. No, we just wanna we just wanna spread quality Canadian content. We wanna give, um, especially you know the uh, English language writers in Montreal, which are maybe a little underrepresented, um, just a voice, just uh, an outlet. Uh, we wanna create an art movement. We want to uh, excite people. We wanna make people realize that books are important. Books are cool. Books are more than just, um, you know, those dusty things you have on the shelf. They're an, an exceptional artistic medium. They're objet d'art. They're beautiful. And they're just amazing. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really are. You know, um, I, I love reading. As you can see, you see my, my, my library in the back here. But, um, uh, you know, I, I got into, you know, when I got my first iPad, I said, oh, let me buy some books. And then I bought a couple. I'm like, no nah, man <laughs> i went back i went back to chapters and i bought the i need something in my hands i need to flip that page and and feel that cover and look at the beautiful illustrations inside if if if, if that's the case um so yeah i'm i'm one of those but it doesn't matter i mean no matter how you get the medium right so yeah. uh, so basically you you can help up and coming authors is that the whole purpose of aos publishing Sure. Well, I mean, not just not specifically. We just want to uh, publish quality content, and okay. uh, we want to publish uh, quality Canadian content, especially. And uh, we are helping uh, up and coming authors. We actually have uh, seven or eight—I forget the count now—authors signed in addition to myself already. And we are planning to put out at the very least five titles in 2021 and at the very most seven or eight. So it's going to be very exciting. Um, Fantastic. To come in the new year. So if, if anybody uh, who is interested, all they need to do is go on the website and contact. They, I, I presume that the contact information would be there if they. Yes, there's a submissions form if you're an author and uh, there's a shop if you're a consumer and you just want to support us or support one of our authors. And there's a bunch of information about the company and um, there are a bunch of uh, stimulating visuals as well that uh, will please your eye as you uh, learn about us and uh, our journey awesome. to date. Awesome. Okay, great. I like that. So let's, let's, let's get into, let's get into your first book. All right. Let's get into uh, it. Yes. Um, it's called Idle Hands and I believe this was published in 2017. Yes, correct. Correct. So, Tell us, tell, tell us a little bit more about this book uh, and then we'll have a chit chat about it because I find it fascinating. Okay. Um, the book is basically about um, just the overall themes are uh, apathy, uh, vice, and um, the, down, the pitfalls of um, living a life that does not take on willingly the responsibility that will inevitably be foisted upon you. So what I mean by that is basically the book is about a young man who is trying to or he's immersed in like pop culture a lot and the way and youth culture, which is very uh, inundated with um, apathy, meaning um, the don't give a fuck mentality. Um, yeah. And um, he basically you follow him and his adventures through uh, throughout Montreal. And the first half of the book is basically comedic as he does some silly things and does his best to avoid responsibility. And then the second half of the book gets a little more serious as the consequences of his behavior begin to rain down upon him. When, when I read the, I, I, just, just so that, you know, I haven't read the book, I will because Michael's going to send me a copy. <laughs> um, but it led me into so many different um, questions and, and, and scenarios where we could go because I, I read it and uh, the, the summary and what the book is about. And it seems to me like it's, it's almost every man's young man's unrealistic dream, right? Let me mm -hmm. live life, no responsibilities. Let me do what the fuck I want to do. Mm -hmm. Bang who I want to bang. Uh, ruin lives upon ruining lives, drink all I want, do what I want, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I look at it on on, an, on the other, uh, you know, we can't look at life like that, but then I look at it on the other uh, flip of the coin and say, but our expectations on our youth, or in particular this young man, are they unrealistic in, in, in itself as well, right? I mean, 
what what would happen if everyone felt and lived this way, right? With any disregard to to community and to society. Um, well, the, not to spoil the ending of the book, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's clearly untenable and uh, not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but let's play the devil's advocate here, Michael. Sure. Mm -hmm. Love playing devil's advocate. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with living like this? I'm it's just. Empty. It's empty. That's what comes of it, really. Um, you know, like those people that we were talking about earlier who support you and uh, help you get through things, they're going to start dropping like flies if you continuously disrespect them and you continuously put yourself uh, before everyone else. And not even just putting yourself before everyone else, just putting your shallow desires, your shallow, superficial, fleeting desires like uh, lust and greed before everything else. Yes. However, can't we say that so many people live like this? It's really oh. not about a book. It's actually reality. We can say anything, Luigi. <laughs> no, but you, you know what I'm trying to get at, right? I mean, yeah. should... Well, should... I, I feel like to a degree, people, you know, live like this. Uh, everyone to a degree lives like this. And, you know, what you were saying before, as uh, before uh, referring to how it's... Um, every young man's dream a lot of people uh who read this book who are male come back to me and and if i know them you know they come they come back to me and tell me that it was so relatable on such a personal level because i've thought a lot of the things that this main character has thought and that's what i wanted to do i wanted to take a lot of these thoughts that are universal or very relatable to young men and take them to the hyperbolic end let's play this out if you you believe this what would happen if you actually live this way? Okay, so see here again, I'm gonna, I, and and I it came up with some twisted thoughts here, but I'm going to try to relate it to what, what we're living in today. Okay, sure. is it is it time to reinvent how we live? Let me explain what I what I mean by that. Um, is it time to relook at our expectations on young people? When I say expectations, forget about it. Go to school get an education, meet someone, start a family, have children, contribute to, to society by having children and live the rest of your life and be miserable. I'm just, okay. I'm just saying <laughs> Okay. where, 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 and I, again, I'm playing, I'm playing devil's advocate because I never I had this type of picture. <laughs> and I'm the one that's married with two kids. Okay. <laughs> I always said, <laughs> I always said this podcast is 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 my therapy. Okay, so so here I get to live my second life here. Right, give me a break right, tonight. Right. Okay, so you know we always say <laughs> we always say right that that we're too many on the planet. It's a given fact. Yeah. Okay, we are. we are. We <laughs> are. Okay. So what if we yeah. reinvent the way we live our lives and the pressures that we put on these young people? That here is your your timeline. Here's your plan. How you're supposed to live your life. Instead, say, you know what? Do whatever the hell you want. Go, mm -hmm. just do it, man. Live your life. You don't have to have kids, even though we are having less kids anyway in certain, mm -hmm. parts, in certain parts of the world. I feel, um, like, I feel like what you're saying is coming from a very, um, like a traditional Italian uh, heritage or, or background, because I, I feel like the, the modern world is more fluid than it's ever been and trending in that direction. People are being given freedoms that they don't know what the fuck to do with. <laughs> True. Very good point. Very good point. And, and I find that these freedoms, I, I truly believe this, that uh, we are inventing problems. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are inventing problems. No like, doubt. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the, the, uh, the timeline of history, right now, where we're at right now, we are living in the safest, most... Um, uh, 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 profitable for humankind depending okay, again where you live in the world but there's no risk of war there's no risk of disease <laughs> right now we're going through coronavirus but that's another story um there's very low risk that you get killed walking out of your house or or being or being stabbed or being uh um whatever it may be but yet minus all this where a lot of people in third world countries would die for the life that we live every day are still inventing problems 
mm-hmm. are still saying, let me stand up for something that really isn't a problem, but let me make it into a problem, especially with this generation. So well, I I, that's that, why I think that tight, like uh, not to like distill what you just said, which is like a huge, a huge concept into like a one liner. But I think that um, that's in part um, explained by consumerism which seeks to keep everyone in the Western world perpetually dissatisfied. It's the God honest truth, Michael. It's the God honest truth. Listen, um, I, I saw, I saw a post today. One of my friends on Facebook, he says, I waited, I don't know how many weeks for my new iPhone 12 plus, mm-hmm. but, 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 but what, how much better, how much more technology, how much more, do you need in life and i'm going to relate this also to it's a great thing that i that i heard on joe rogan and honestly i've been saying this because i'm in i'm in the industry of finance and banking um pretty much on my professional uh career okay since i was 20 years old i've been in banking and i was always fascinated with that the especially companies that are public right and that there's you have to answer to shareholders what Mm -hmm. do these shareholders expect every year continuous growth Mm. i've always asked but where the fuck does this continuous growth come from it's not it's not feasible it's impossible for a company to grow every year Mm. it's impossible so physical world does not grow with you exactly exactly so it's the same thing exactly what you said before it's we're never happy whether it be through through a product, an Apple phone, an Apple phone that that's at number twelve now, right? So so basically twelve generations of this phone, a, 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 um, a company that you invest in that you expect to continuously and 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 at perpetuity to keep growing, it's not natural because what happens then is that people within these companies because they have shareholders to answer to keep lying and there's fraud and let me make up numbers and everybody gets screwed and everybody lose their life savings just mm. because we need to make these shareholders happy. So basically what I'm saying is we're, technically we are living almost a plastic and fake life. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm not being, I'm not being, I, I, I'm not being, you know, the world is coming to an end. It's it's not me. It's not the type. Of, but when you really look at it, a lot of our things that surround us have made us shallow. Yes, no doubt. And, and when I read, when I, I read, what this, yes, and what I read, what this book is about, it brought me to this, right? As I get older, I'm trying to say, I really want to know. That's why I honestly started this podcast is I want to meet interesting people. I want to know really what the meaning of life is. I want to say that I maybe did something in this world, not mm-hmm. what I have, not what I leave behind. It's more of what did I do? What mm-hmm. did I do to, you know, um, Maya Angelou says, and I love this, just people will never remember what you did. People will remember how you made them feel. Nice. That's Gives me shivers, cool. man. It's a great quote. It, every time I say that, I don't know how many times I've said it. So, as you can see, this book just brought me in <laughs> many directions, and I hate you for it because now my, my mind's working overtime. Um, that's good. You know, you're burning some calories thinking yeah. about uh, all those thoughts. Yeah, well, oh, that's look, a- I'm, I'm I'm a I'm a big time advocate of capitalism, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that we didn't foresee when we went down this experiment all those years ago. And that there aren't some things that maybe we need to change, like money becoming digital and being based in absolutely nothing and being printed by the Canadian government to hand out to everyone during the COVID pandemic and no consequences arising from this whatsoever. Just cast doubt on the legitimacy of a $20 bill if you really think about it, but you shouldn't. You, you shouldn't, but yes, definitely. You're, you're, you're totally, you hit the nail on the head, Michael. I mean, right. What is, is it really, because at the end of the day, it is just paper, right? It's not even worth the paper that this money is printed on. Um, and now, I mean, sorry, Mike, it's plastic now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, 
<laughs> very hard the plastic to to so so i i think that what i am what i am positive about and i've spoken to this with with other guests in previous podcasts is that i i'm starting to see a change in the way we view um life and society uh meaning that i you know i tell my kids uh, my 11 year old i said alessio i i don't care what you do with your life i just want you to be happy and be kind just be kind because you are a kind person i just want you to stay that way and i find that now um even men are are changing overall that they are being a little bit more kind and a little bit more cognitive on what their actions and what and how they treat um friends and and just talking about their emotions and just general kindness and i think i'm seeing a difference in society maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm an, an optimist to go from exactly from what i talked about two minutes ago um i don't know what, what how do you see it I don't know about the societal level because like that's so abstract. I like to think of things more on the individual level because that's where you could really affect change or at least that's what I think anyway. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you, you know, look, as, as easy as it is to be cynical when you start thinking about all of these bigger topics or even like metaphysical questions, like why am I here? What is there beyond all of this? I think it's important to remain grounded just for yourself because um, you only live once and the outlook that you bring to that life is really what's most important. I mean, for me, I try to, I stretch or and or do yoga every single day. Um, I try to be honest with myself. I try to be honest with others at all times. I try not to shy away from my emotions, even if that means that I need to cry. You know, like mm-hmm. I think it's very important not to not to bullshit yourself. Yeah. Because if you're bullshitting yourself, you're bullshitting everyone else, and that's no way to live. No, no. Uh, I love I love the way you phrase that, and um, yeah, I think I think I think a lot of people are questioning, especially now with what we're living, um, questioning how to live, um, questioning. I know I am on a personal level. And I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with me on this. I've this this uh, this pandemic has shown me a lot uh, mm-hmm. in a, in a few things to appreciate a lot of people, and also I'll be honest with you, some of the nut jobs that I've seen come out through this. I I mean I I can't nut jobs, Michael. I I can't even begin. I think it's this. We're going to tie this in with your next book that we're going to discuss, but. <laughs> The amount of sheer madness that I see on social media, I I have to look away. I mm-hmm. cannot believe the shit that I've seen in the past year, starting from 5G to vaccines to <laughs> new world order to uh, chips and vaccines. We're going to get into that. That's for sure. I just... Okay. <laughs> people have lost their fucking minds. Yeah. I think, is it... Uh... Is it is it is it we're, we're bored and we're inventing stuff is it the advent of 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 social media and that now everything on the drop of a dime becomes reality um well look i don't know because i wasn't alive back then but i mean i was a kid before the internet came around like uh when did the internet come around 95 96 started getting yeah. popular. i was born in 92 yeah. so i mean i'm not a digital native but i'm just about the last the last bastion of of not being a digital native now everyone's born with the internet um but i just feel like before when i was growing up like the news was facts you know like people would watch the news and that's where you got your information no one no one questioned it you know it was just like it was fact now with the internet with fake news with all of this all this crap all of these infinite news outlets and with facebook and with sharing everyone is like sort of cynical everyone's sort of skeptical of everything to the point where like truth has dissolved what is truth where do you find it no one really knows and so all of you get hearing a lot of this ridiculous nonsense getting you know weighted against the news and you know i'm not even going to stand here and be a proponent of the news because 
they sensationalize things way too much nowadays and, and i understand why they do they're competing with all of these sensational other outlets that are stealing their viewership yeah I'm not condoning it but you know this is what i see is the current state of things it's um it's pretty scary because when an entire population doesn't know where to go get their news can't decipher between what is true and what is fake where do you go michael <laughs> where do we go and, and it leads it leads us to where we are at this present moment right which mm. leads us into discussing your second book because like could you have chosen uh, first of all did you write this book you obviously it, it was published in 2019 so when did you actually write it probably 2018 started okay so so yeah. it, it's just it, it it's it's pretty scary um tell us a little bit more about uh, let me see if i'm i'm saying it correctly alt point four point one no it's just the uh, alt four one so okay. uh, the reason the reason i named it that is because um phonetically it sounds like all for one and the book uh, takes on a lot of themes of like uh, interconnect digital interconnectivity mm -hmm. and also it sounds uh digital you know it's, it sounds like a command you use on your keyboard yeah um so basically the book um is a dystopian fiction so i don't know if you're familiar with that genre but it's uh like 1984 or yes. brave new world those are the two um poster childs for uh poster children for uh for the dystopian fiction uh, genre so basically it just uh describes a near future nightmare where a company comes out with a product called IntelliWare that is surgically incorporated into every user's body and basically what that does is it's like um a smartphone in your body so you have the internet directly in your brain and you know it starts answering questions for you it starts revolutionizing the way that people communicate but the insidious part of it is that there's someone behind the company that has surgically incorporated uh this device into your body that obviously has their own agenda and um you know tackles questions of free will, tackles questions of uh, how technology changes what it, well, technological innovation even thus far has changed what it means to be human, changed interpersonal relations. You know, you think of a family sitting at the table for dinner and uh, three out of four or even four out of four people are looking at their phones while they're eating their steak instead of <laughs> looking each other in the face and having a human moment, you know, or like maybe what a human moment is has changed, but I resist. I, I, I try to resist that. Yeah. Yielding to that. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. That's just that last point. Um, has, has human interaction changed them? I, I, I really hope not. I really hope not. And once again, when, um, when I read the summary of this book, it led me down a rabbit hole into, mm. I mean, we had a discussion off air. The actual book, how big the rabbit hole will be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't even, and it's, it's just amazing that you, you spoke about these things and, and thought about these ideas in 2018. And off air, we were talking about something interesting about uh, a company. Um, I believe in the States, I could be wrong that, um, making uh chips uh microchips that could be implemented underneath your skin and they invent these chips so they asked the employees of this company that were quite numerous in the hundreds i believe to if they wanted to wear the chips or they i think they even made it uh uh mandatory basically what they did with these chips is it acted like your pass right that's that should be illegal <laughs> probably once again i could be wrong but um the, the 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 chip acted as your pass right when you go into an office to get into in and out of a building like a key card exactly so right there monitors your here you go take a piss you go take a, you know you come into work you leave work everything is being monitored and as well if you wanted to pay at the cafeteria that this company is, you could use that as basically an interact card. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're not, we're not far from there guys. It's happening already. Okay. This company is actually working on this technology and uh, hilariously enough, I had like, there's even, you mentioned this company. I don't know what 
what company it is, but there's also Neuralink, which I'm sure you're going to bring up, Elon yes. Musk's company. Hilariously enough, I had no idea that Neuralink was a thing while I was writing this book. And the day that I published it, I or like thereabouts, like I had a, a launch party with friends and family. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends that was on his way to a party sent me a text message, which was a link to um, a video of Elon Musk doing a, a speech about Neuralink. And I was like, you got it. This is exactly what my book Amazing. is talking about. That's incredible. I can, But like not incredible in a good way, like incredible in a dystopian nightmare way <laughs> well so here's my first thing okay when 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 you told me what the book is about and i read a little bit more what it's about is that here's the problem right humans are always going to continue evolving and coming up with new technology when we look back and also going forward um every amazing invention or destructive technology that humans have invented started with good intentions or vice versa, right? Nuclear energy, uh, mm -hmm. vaccines, somehow, we, you know, we, we make that dark, uh, and Neuralink, right? So for those of you that don't know, Neuralink is a company uh, started by, of course, everyone's favorite person to hate after Bill Gates, of course, um, <laughs> uh, by, um, oh my God, <laughs> The name escapes me. Elon Musk. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Elon Musk. Uh, basically, the whole purpose of this uh, was to use this Neuralink, which basically is going to be used to um, make vessels or nerves in the body that can no longer, for whatever reason, disease or whatever, communicate. So, for example, if a person cannot use their right arm, uh, then Neuralink would be able to put in a chimp and, and make the communication in the head that the, the vessels or the um, uh, the neurons or whatever that discusses or makes the body move. Basically, it is for a good cause. Mm -hmm. But like with every good invention in the world, someone is always going to turn it around and use it to kill billions of people in the case of nuclear energy, let's say in atomic bombs. So my question to you, Michael, is do you stop innovating? We're not going to stop innovating. We're not going to stop any good thing that's being done being turned into something evil. Uh, yeah, no, we don't stop innovating. Well, <laughs> I don't think we do. I think, uh, look, if you want to go down that that rabbit hole, I mean, um, uh, some people think that it's just gonna, we're going to inevitably implode and other people think that we're just going to get to the precipice of the cliff and then invent a flying machine and continue <laughs> flying upwards. I don't know, but we're going to get to the edge of the cliff because that's our human nature, I think. And also it is innovation and moving forward and progress, whether it's an illusion or not, uh, is a big uh as a big motivator as a big um gives humans a sense of purpose a raison d'etre and you know we need that so i just don't think that um a lot like you were saying you know a lot of times there are noble intentions and um evil unexpected consequences of what we do but that's just been the way we do things since the dawn of time and i don't think that we're, we should or that we are going to change uh, the course we're on. I, I don't either, because if you look back in the past um, 50 years, we've advanced technology uh, tenfold, right? Of what we did the past 500 years prior to that. So you, could you imagine? Absolutely. So could you imagine where we're going to be in 10 years or even five years, right? Um, so, <laughs> I mean, Bionic arms. it's... I we're, we're probably already there. Put an end to the NFL quarterbacks that could uh, throw balls a thousand yards. Could you imagine <laughs> that? Could you imagine that? So so here's the thing, right? Yes. I mean, we, <laughs> we could draw we could draw so many parallels of this book. In essence, this book is basically like a commentary on the world where we live in today, mm -hmm. where we look at. Everybody trying to control Google, Facebook, Amazon, they're too big. Basically, you wrote the book, right? 
you wrote the book. It's exactly that. <laughs> yeah. but, but, but here's my, my question is how do you stop that? How do you stop that? And what are the dangers behind that? Um, how do you stop it? I mean, like I said, I don't know if you could stop it, but like I also said, I think that change, um, is engendered, uh, on the level of the individual. And I just think that, you know, we are capitalists. So the market dictates the products that become viable and the products that do not become viable. So if individuals decide that these products are not in line with their values and they do not spend their hard-earned credits or dollars on buying these products, then these products cease to exist. I mean, if, if Elon Musk puts out Neuralink and no one buys it, there's, you know, a billion dollars in research and development down the toilet, no harm, no foul, we move mm -hmm. forward. But if people buy it, there's another billion dollars in research and development that's going to continue sharpening it through updates, like IntelliWare is hmm. you know, one. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a very good point, you know, and and, and I'll bring it to to a, a further level that in the book, you know, as as you know, and George Orwell wrote in, in 1984, you know, this this totalitarianism and mass surveillance uh rep repressive regimentation of persons and behavior within society when you really look at it i mean again i'm gonna play the devil's advocate i think we're going down a really you mentioned a slope before i think we're really right now we're really like headlong in a very slippery slope and what i mean by that is when i talk about censorship um who's right who's wrong what can can you not say what can you or can who could have a platform on youtube or not um i don't really think that we're really far from there michael and this is what scares the shit out of me well not to um you know draw too many parallels to the current state of things but you know what's the difference between that and the government telling you that if you see your family they're going to give you a six thousand dollar ticket Thank you. It's it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yes. It's it's the same. It's the same thing as um, a university banning uh, or 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 banning a certain speaker that they don't agree with from uh, from speaking on their campuses. It's the same thing by deciding uh, YouTube could decide who they deplatform and or Facebook because the government tells them to do it. Or they decide that it's not against their company guidelines and policies. Mm. Listen, I don't agree with everybody, okay? No, sure. but I think every everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have a problem if I did, but I think everybody should have the right for freedom of speech, and say, and everybody should have the right to listen to this individual, even though I think they're a quack job. I I would agree with that. Look, I'm a huge proponent of freedom of speech, and. Uh... I, you know, I think that that's reflected in the art, both the art that I consume and the art that I make. If I don't read something, if it doesn't push any buttons, if it doesn't push any buttons, it's not touching anything important. It's not pushing the edge, the, uh, it's not pushing the frontier of what I already know, what I've already felt, what I've already thought. And, you know, you need to have a little bit of that, uh, that intellectual exploration, that that adventurous, um, you know, personality trait to to really push the bounds of things, to say new things, to to feel new things. Like I said, you know, to create something new, and you know, with regards to freedom of speech, you know, it, it gets like um, it gets a little uh, precarious talking about that because you know you want to you want to draw lines somewhere in the sand like you don't want to have you know you don't want to be platforming people that are overtly spewing hate speech but it just becomes difficult to draw the line in the sand as to what is hate hate speech because you know like there's some stuff that's obviously hate speech if you start spewing nazi stuff or if you're dropping the n-word constantly mm -hmm. but there's some stuff there's more stuff a lot more stuff that's gray area and who's deciding what's gray acceptable what's gray unacceptable is 
is like, uh, for lack of a better word, it's problematic because like, I don't want anyone telling me personally what gray area I can wade into and what gray area I can't wade into. That's, that's absolutely. And I think that why it's such a, a dangerous slope is that no one should decide what I should consume. And short of, short of enticing violence and hate, I think anybody should be able to say what they want to say. If a flat earther wants to tell me, try to convince me that the earth is flat, I'm going to say, okay, you're a fucking moron. I, don't, I could choose not to listen to you, right? If um, if some idiot says uh, six, seven, or eight million Jews didn't die uh, during the Holocaust, I'm going to say, well, again, you're a fucking idiot, and that's fine. I don't, I don't need to listen to him. Mm-hmm. However, um, I don't take away their right to have a platform. I think it comes back to what you were saying before, you know, like new media come new problems, you know, with the internet, these dickheads have, you know, the ability to spread their stupidity in unprecedented ways. And you get these things like uh, these, these echo chambers, these forums, these, um, these platforms that are like-minded idiots spewing garbage. And, you know, that's, that's one of the more serious gray areas, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. I mean, I, it's tough to make general sweeping statements about this, uh, about this topic. Cause if I were to make a general sweeping statement, I'd say like, I'm an advocate for free speech at all times. But then again, when it comes to something specific like that, I mean, I don't know if I do advocate that these people sh- like, it's like, uh, it's, it's some somewhat equivalent to like a KKK meeting. Should a KKK meeting be broken up or should a KKK meeting be allowed to happen? I mean, probably it should be broken up, but then where do you draw the line again? And, you know, like, I don't know. I don't have the answer. That's a tough one. <laughs> no, I don't think. I don't think anybody does. The, the you see the, where where this leads me to is you know uh, about a couple of weeks ago, but maybe a month ago, when when uh, some violence erupted in in France, and the professor was killed because mm-hmm. he showed uh, the the Prophet Muhammad um, being decapitated. Uh, anyway, uh, and he was he was killed and decapitated and. When our prime minister says there is a limit to free speech, when we hurt, when feelings are hurt, I had to listen to this twice or three times on Facebook. I think it was a CTV article. I had to listen to because I wanted to make sure that I, I I I listened and I heard it correctly. I could not believe my ears. I said, I need Neuralink right now to fix it because obviously <laughs> my brain is not processing. There's no fucking way he said this. There's no way. Hey, when we start limiting free speech and when we hurt somebody's feelings, we don't in, say to- in today's world, Michael, could you imagine in today's world of, of se- uber sensitive? I'm sc- First of all, I'm scared for this generation. <laughs> I really am, man. I'm, I, and and I tell my my kids, listen to me, buddy. Your professors in university right now, they're just, he's my, my eldest is going to, to high school next year. Not all your teachers are going to like you. Not all like your professors are going to like you. And not all your bosses are going to like you. Okay? Maybe on the contrary, they're going to fucking hate you. Live with it. It's part of life. It's reality. Mm-hmm. It's reality. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. um, and... This book, <laughs> reading about it, the, the summary and what it's about, and what you, what you told me off air, has led me all the way there. And I find we can make so many uh, relations into what's going on today. Right? How do we balance protecting? Right, so I think protect- what, I think what you're getting at is something like freedom of speech ensures the freedom of individuality and there's a a direct correlation undeniable correlation between you being able to say whatever the fuck you want and you being able to be whoever the fuck you want and there's an interesting and you know uh, i guess unfortunate uh line drawn in the sand where in some circumstances you're encouraged to be whoever you want to be even if that means that you um identify as an eagle flying through the sky and want to be called your majesty (laughs) but 
if you have certain right-wing political views, which I'm not even saying I have these right-wing political views, mm -hmm. but like I want people who do have these views to say them. I want them, everyone, to say what they believe because, you know, like just for example, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Bill Maher and something that he says on his show a few times is um, – sunlight is the best disinfectant so what he <laughs> means by that analogy by that metaphor is basically that like when a fuck face says something stupid you can label him as a fuck face if he just nods and pretends he agrees with you about everything you don't know that he's a fuck face and you cannot correct his thinking yeah absolutely i listen i've i i don't pretend to know everything i think i'm a self-educated person i try to educate myself as much as possible if i don't know about something that i'm going to talk about or i want to learn more i'm going to look at it myself and research it myself and people have taught me in having these discussions they've made me th see things differently maybe that i was looking at as a tunnel vision in regards to anything right um and i think by only having these type of discussion is how any individual by giving the individual this freedom of speech allows that individual speak to another individual and maybe that point of view will be changed that's just on the micro level that's one person at a time but if everyone could do that and now there's nothing, and there's nothing better than reading books for that because you know when you read a book you're alone with your own thoughts and it really helps you cement and work out what you actually believe which i think is uh, fundamental to you understanding who you actually are and who you are is how you navigate through the world so I think it's really important for you to um, get in touch with um, with yourself, like I, I was saying, emotionally, but as yep. well, uh, but intellectually as well, and to really, you know, like you're saying, play the devil's advocate about the things that you think you believe to the point where, like, every time you cast doubt on something you think, and you sharpen what you think to account for that new doubt that you've cast upon it. You sharpen, you you solidify, you strengthen what you think and your conviction behind it, and that I think I think makes you a better person for it. Well, it does because see, if if what I have a problem is when 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 people say something, whatever the conspiracy or not conspiracy that they say, whether it be five G, whether it be Bill Gates is the 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 is, is Lucifer. Um, <laughs> That one's my favorite. That's going to send me off on a tangent. So I'm not even going to get into that. But I'm saying is what do you have to back yourself up? Your your, your university degree from YouTube? Is, is, that, is that, that the best you could do? Is that the best you could do? You know, it's a, it's a great thing. There was an interview with Bill Gates. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent. But long story short is that it was clearly modified in doctrine to make it seem that he was uh, a proponent for um, basically killing off half of the world's population because we're overpopulated. Where in fact, where in fact, we all know what he actually said in that interview and somebody actually put the two interviews side by side and you see how it was edited. But mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. People took it. You need just need someone that's looking for a little bit of speck and then, boom, that becomes the, the gospel to them. That's the truth. He wants to kill everybody. He's going to put the virus. He's going to put it, and he's going to kill half of the population. He killed already half of Africa. <laughs> come, come on, guys. But just do a little bit of research, just a bit. But I find that they're so focused to find that that's all they're going to see. And no matter what, like, for example, a lot of uh, political supporters of whatever – no matter what Trump will do or not do or say, I find that facts don't matter anymore. And that's what even scarier today. Well, you know, shit on university degrees as I might. <laughs> one thing that they really help with is, um, you know, sort of um, giving you an idea of sourcing and what sources are good and what sources are not so good and which ones you should be drawing information from and which ones you should be casting aside as obviously not credible yeah um, a lot of people don't pay any mind to where the information came from not inf all information is equal <laughs> yeah 
for sure and and one last thing what this is going to be kind of it's so difficult right when you look and i'm going to relate your book to this company and i'm going to relate this company uh what's the name of the company in the book again pop uh, pop poplar corp okay i'm going to relate that to our present government today where and I'm going to play the devil's advocate a bit here because I could see how people could see it. In, in So there's that line that's being divided right now is that they're putting all these things into place to protect us. However, they're putting them into place to get more control and more power. And we're never going to get, we're never going to get these freedoms back. That's what a lot of people are saying because historically, yes, people, governments that have taken away rights for in the name of um societal protection exactly the greater good thank you has never given them back Mm -hmm. so here's something i struggle with right now and maybe you could help me out with this is i I could see how people could see that but i always see but i don't think that listen the government is, is just as lost as all of us right they don't know what to do but what would be the purpose of them purposely doing this and shutting things down to get more power how much more po- guys we, we listen I, i've had a lot of time over the past <laughs> nine months to reflect on this look i don't want to believe that it's malice or malintent in any way because i just don't see that it would be but it just it hurts my heart that the only other alternative is complete incompetence and that they're complete idiots because i just don't there's no consistency in what they're trying to do. And just fundamentally, like, I don't, you know, I, I tell, I'm very open about what I think about everything with everyone. And, you know, I'm thankful that a lot of the people that I do speak to about COVID, you know, end up agreeing with me, but, you know, just fundamentally, if there's a deadly disease out there, I believe it should be my freedom to choose whether or not I want to go reckon with that deadly disease out in the world. The government should not be telling me what I can and can't do. The government should not be telling businesses if they can or cannot open. I like my heart just goes out to everyone who owns a storefront. Like the decimation is unprecedented. And I just don't know what the world's going to look like when we eventually do go back to normal um yeah it's um i echo your your sentiments 100 percent um i there's no um people that know me know that i have a lot of my best friends that are in the restaurant and reception hall business <laughs> the worst business that could possibly be uh these are my best friends my brothers uh and it it my heart uh, hurts for them literally every day literally every day michael where um and any business owner for that matter i have other friends that when the government for the greater good and why can't we protect our most vulnerable our elderly people that are have uh, pre-existing conditions autoimmune issues for example like my wife um they're gonna f- first of all choose to stay isolated and stay away f- and let everyone with the social keyword, distancing the let, give them the choose. choice the keyword is choose yes exactly but and that's the western ideal you know freedom of choice well, there's there's a thing, right? One of my favorite comics of all time, God rest his soul, George Carlin says, the government gives you the illusion of choice where you do not have a choice. We always have the illusion that we have choice, but we don't have a choice when it comes to pay taxes. We don't have a choice whether or not we're going to open up our, our gym or restaurant. We don't have a choice. If I'm going to see my family at Christmas, come on. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> um, so, I, say, I agree. <laughs> no, I know, and that's and I was just, um, you know, I'm I'm making so many parallels to your book, and I think you did a great job, spot on, in both of these books, and relating them to to what we live on a daily basis, and especially now, my God, with COVID and Alt uh, Alt Four One, um, so many parallels could be made to. To the monsters in the closet whether it be amazon or governments telling you what to do uh or amazon and 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 google and apple and and god knows what else taking over the world 
Um, I think you've really done uh, really done a great job, and I can't read to, to I can't wait to read them. Honestly, um, uh, where could uh, people, uh, listeners, find your books? Uh, find um, your um, information. I've already shared. Uh, I will share the actual uh, website and also the web page of AOS Publishing. But is there anything else? Oh. Yeah, the, the website, www.aospublishing.com, has a shop where all of our artists' books are available, including mine. Um, it's also available on Amazon worldwide, and it's also available on Indigo in certain storefronts and on the website. Oh, cool. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you so much. It's been a great, great talk. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Me I too. really appreciate it. Um, I, I uh, can't wait to see what the future uh holds for you in terms of writing and i wish you nothing but luck um so thank you so much guys thank you for tuning in we really appreciate it we will probably have a show next week right before christmas we will see uh so i bid you all a uh, great night guys be kind to each other like i always say every week and uh, michael stay on we'll chit chat afterwards thanks again guys have a great evening thank you Thanks for listening to the Agree to Disagree show. Make sure you like, subscribe, and tell all your friends about it. Until next time.